Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Scopophilia. We are a millennial movie movement. And I, of course, am your host, Becky Teller, here to lead the movement into the future. And this week is a fun week because, one, I have a great guest on, which we will get to in a second. Uh, Two, we are talking about a cult film, a cult classic, if you will. And I don't really understand why, but my brain is fascinated with cult classics of any kind. I mean, Labyrinth, Heathers, uh, American Psycho, uh, Clerks. I mean, I've seen a lot of cult classic films. And even when we did Donnie Darko, I did not really talk about how much I love cult classic films, which is kind of strange now that I'm thinking about it. But I guess this is just new information that I could give to you now. So there you go. I'm obsessed with cult classic movies. And we're talking about one that I have not seen, but have wanted to see for a very long time now. And that is Harold and Maude from 1971 with today's guests, Abigail Wald, who, if you don't know her work, take a second, take a pause and look it up. She is the host of Mother Flipping Awesome, where she teaches parents how to love parenting and love the the job of parenting. And granted, as somebody who does not have kids, uh, her presence is so inspirational and fun and just a beautiful person to talk to. And when she picked this film, I was super excited because it's, again, it's been on my list for years and years now. So without further ado, my interview with Abigail Wald about her favorite film, Harold and Maud. Enjoy. Scopophilia is the newest thing to hit the market. Defined as deriving aesthetic pleasure from looking at something, it's the new craze sweeping the nation. Taken in large doses, side effects can include an addictive nature to have more film content. If this increase occurs, consult no one and keep listening. Hey there, Scopophiliacs, and welcome back to another episode of Scopophilia, the podcast. And I'm very excited because this week's guest is super fun and none other than Abigail Wald of the Mother Flipping Awesome podcast. Did I get that right? Mother Flipping Awesome? Yes, you did. Amazing. And how are you? I am pretty darn awesome today. (laughs) (laughs) And so for those who are unfamiliar with your work uh, with the show, which is a sin, uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, what you do and, and what you're doing. Um, I help parents like their life pretty much. <laughs> That's what I do. Uh, I help parents like their kids because sometimes we love our kids, but we don't always like them. And it just works out better for everybody if you like them um, too. And And I help parents genuinely love their life, like get some ROI on all that really good hard work that you're doing because doing really good hard work and not feeling that return on investment sucks. So I, uh, I help parents be able to know 
what their kids are really saying, decode their problems, and then know what the heck they can do about it. Amazing. Well, and so then let me ask you, kind of in this, you know, in this pandemic world that we're living in, have you seen kind of a shift in how you talk with parents now that we're in like a whole new set of rules or is it still kind of the same feeling? Uh, That's a good question. Um, I think parents need more support now than they ever have because whereas, you know, obviously parenting has always been a full-time job. Now parents are teaching and at home doing remote schooling and still doing their jobs uh, or having had to let go of their jobs uh, because as a society, we do not value the job of parenting. And COVID, we've always known that. Parents have always known that. Um, But COVID has laid that bare that we don't really think it's a job. And we're like, oh yeah, well, you're just supposed to now do that job on top of this job because that's not really a job you know, (laughs) but if you don't do it well, by the way, we're going to blame you. And it's, it's complicated. Um, so I think parents are feeling those pressures, but those pressures have always been there. Honestly. Um, it's just a little bit, maybe more out in the open now. It's a little bit like racism and all the other things that we're talking about finally. Right. Um, you know, uh, there's always been, uh, problems of sexual harassment in Hollywood. Like it's not new. It's just, we're finally, openly talking about some things a little bit more. So I think parents are, are being more honest about what it does to them to not have society value their job. That said, the work of parenting has always been difficult and we're not just quesadilla makers and carpoolers, we're, we're soul shapers. And so that layer of the work has always been there. And when we do it, honestly and fully and can give ourselves credit for it and can get support for how to do it beautifully like an artist, then we're also taking care of ourselves in the process. And so, you know, that's really where I come in. That's amazing. And I think that work is so important. And I mean, you're, you're totally right. There's always been kind of a stigma of like, I mean, one example being the stay at home mom kind of stigma of like, you're doing everything, but you do it for the benefit of your children. So you don't get an award for it when really it's like moms are the real heroes <laughs> in that scenario. So that's amazing. Yeah, it is. It is really um, quite phenomenal. Uh, and hold on. I, I have a child coming immediately <laughs> right now. Um, um, so um I don't even know what you were saying because then parent brain, <laughs> parent brain. No worries. No worries. Um, well, I mean, let's just get into it. So Robert reached out to you and asked if you want to come on the show. You're gracious enough to say yes. So thank you for coming on first I, and foremost. I, I think you're the one who's gracious because I am not <laughs> a film like aficionado by any stretch of the imagination. Um, in fact, my husband was funny. He's like, wait, shouldn't that be me? And I was like, yeah, it should be. It should be. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I, um, I really love, there are certain films that I have seen that have stayed with me forever. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I watch films in a very, just like non-film geek way. Like I'm just like a regular human. I won't know the names of anybody. I don't, these aren't the things that, you know, I, I once, um, 
I used to tutor many years ago, Deborah Winger's kid uh, with Timothy Hutton. And I used to tutor their kid and I didn't even know who she was. That's how completely <laughs> clueless I am. Okay. Uh-huh. So it's actually you being gracious. To me. <laughs> well, so Robert reached out and I think that's very kind of you to say also, just on a side note. Um, Robert reached out. You said you would come on the show and the fun thing about this season has been people picking movies that like I've either not heard of, never seen before, or have like seen in passing and been like, I'll get to it eventually. And you picked Harold Maude, which is in the third section of it's a cult classic film. I almost did my master's degree on cult classic films and it was like on the list that I was going to watch. And then I just didn't. And so tell me what was, what is it about Harold and Maude that has, you know, like you said, like stuck with okay. you. Now you owe me a thank you. (laughs) Yes, yes, I do. (laughs) Yeah, now you owe me a thank you. (laughs) So um, what is it? I mean, everything. That movie (laughs) is my everything. I, I, I feel already brought to tears, literally just thinking about it. It's so beautiful and so funny and so wicked and so wrong and so right and the music and oh, just yeah. that just everything the cinematography i mean it's it's amazing it's an amazing yeah. film so yeah. uh where do i start i mean the first <laughs> scene let's just start with the first freaking scene which is amazing <laughs> right yeah i mean you're watching yeah. it and you're like wait where is this going wait no he's not gonna do it wait oh my god what Oh, oh, that's dark. <laughs> and you're like, wait, that's really funny. Oh God, is it okay that I'm laughing at this? <gasps> oh no, now it's worse. And it's like, that's in the first minute, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, and it's it's so funny because it's like, he doesn't say anything in the film for six minutes. Oh, <laughs> it's just so great. So amazing. And so what what would you say is like the shortest synopsis you could give about this movie? Mm. <laughs> I know wow. it's a tough question. <laughs> um, let me think about that. I think it's I think it's about being true to what you value, finding your meaning in life. And then throwing it away because none of it means anything anyway. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You look so deep in thought right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when 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 he gives her that coin, right? That gift. Yeah. And she's like, I'm going to treasure this forever. And she like throws it away. Right into the ocean. (laughs) And she's like, now I'll know where it is. And you're just like, oh, it's so good. (laughs) It's so awful and so good. And Mm -hmm. I just, I think I love that that movie is so always on more than one level. It's Mm. never just saying one thing. It's painful and beautiful and disgusting and sexy and, you know, like brutal and soft and it's always working on more than one level. And I think I deeply appreciate that because that's what it feels like to me 
is life, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and it's it's so interesting because, like I said, this was my first time going through it and and always, like, kind of thinking I knew what it was about, but, like, not really. And so going into it with, like, I did not look up what the synopsis was, did not look up anything about it, just was like, we're going in straight for it. And was the only word I could think of when I was done was, like, charming. Like, everything about it is just kind of charming, even though – like he has different suicide stages set up throughout this film and it's dark and it's gritty and like pretty gory sometimes or like the illusion of gore and like is he depressed we don't know is he suicidal kind of but like at the end it's just charming because like these two people find each other in like weird odd ways if that makes sense (laughs) yeah it's funny it's like it's so interesting, right? Everybody's impression of it. I feel like um, charming is so not a word that I would associate with it, but I totally understand. I, I mean, I, I get the sense of like magical, right? Like there's like a yeah. magical to that charming, right? But mm-hmm. it's like, it's so brutal too, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's that moment he like holds her hand and for a split second, you see the tattoo on her arm. And, you know, they don't talk about it. Nobody ever mentions it again. There's like that one moment earlier where she's like, oh, yes, that was from a different time. And she like kind of has like tears in her eyes and you sense like, oh, she's had a past, right? Like, of course she's had a past, you know, she's 80, right? But it's like, then you see that tattoo on her arm and you're like, oh my gosh, like you just totally added this huge other layer to this character and why she's like, I am living. Right. And yeah. And then it's like, he never talks about it. She never talks about it, but it's like worlds have moved in just a second, you know? And I think that's something that I just so deeply respect about the movie. It it just, it it moves and it, it just keeps going. And you're like, it couldn't get deeper or weirder and it just does like every moment it just does. And you you just feel like kind of, yeah, there is that beautiful bucolic charm to it. You're right. Like the the (laughs) songs are so happy in these fields and the romping about, you know, and you know, like the banjo and you know, there's like, there, there is that sort of um, lightness to it. Mm -hmm. And yet it's also like achy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good way to describe it. There's, there is like an ache with both of them too, because you have this, this kid, basically this young man who like doesn't quite know his place in the world, but like wants to, or at least that's how it feels. And then you have this older woman who's like, I want to live life, but has already had that ache of like going through something so traumatic and it's like they just kind of fit each other. And it's so bittersweet, like the whole yeah. time. It's such a Romeo and Juliet, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Literally. It's... No, go ahead. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it just, right. Like even the end, you know, I mean, it's, it's literally a Romeo and Juliet and, yeah. and they are, they're, they're from opposite sides. They shouldn't come together. You know, it's. Um, it's so interesting. And one of my favorite characters in it is the mother. I mean, 
Oh my <laughs> God. Right? Yes. She's so awesomely horrendous. And, yeah. and yet, you know, we can all relate, I think, to this idea of like, get yourself together, young man, you know? And, yeah. You know, she's like, I'm trying to give you everything, you know? Yeah. And she just keeps doing it in the most horrendously wrong ways. And you sort of feel for her in some weird way, but you're looking at him and you're just like, oh yeah. Like, yeah, no, just do it all over the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Just do it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Well, and one of the things I wanted to ask you was, you know, in that relationship and in what you do, like, was there something else she could have done? And that's like, I was trying to think last night of like, okay, she messed with her beautiful walk-in closet. So she got him help from a therapist that she chose, you know, all that stuff. But like, was there something else that could have been done to like help that relationship? Or was it just, Uh, you know? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, she's such a classic narcissist and, <laughs> you know, she's so deeply not listening to her child, you know, yeah. that he's, he's left to fend for himself. She's got her very clear values of what she wants. And yes, she's a total caricature, but this is an actual real problem that parents have where parents, you know, they live in a world where like in her world, she's successful right? And she knows what she, what she, what feels good to her. And she, you know, loves her son and wants him to be successful in the same way she feels successful. And, you know, it's, there's that great moment where she's like filling out the dating yes. uh, <laughs> right? And she's like, do you like this? You know? And then she's like, she's like, okay. And then she's like, Hmm, I should say I do. <laughs> like at some point it just becomes all on her perspective. And it's like, it's so beautiful how they do yes. that, right? She just yes. like slides into herself, her true self of like, <laughs> it's my dating application. Are you uncomfortable meeting new people? Well, I think that's a yes. Don't you agree, Harold? Should sex education be taught outside the home? Oh, I would say no, wouldn't you, Harold? Yeah, we'll give a D there. Three, should women run for president of the United States? I don't see why not. Absolutely, yes. Do you remember jokes and take pleasure in relating them to others? Now, you don't do that, do you, Harold? No, absolutely no. Do you often get the feeling that perhaps life isn't worth living? Hmm? What do you think, Harold? A, B? Oh, we'll put down C, not sure. Is the subject of sex being overexploited by our mass media? That would have to be yes, wouldn't it? <laughs> Is it difficult for you to accept criticism? No. Will mark D. Do you sometimes have headaches or backaches after a difficult day? Yes, I do indeed. Do you go to sleep easily? I'd say so. hundred um, <laughs> percent. You know, I think that while we can all laugh at it, the truth of the matter is that we unfortunately do do this to our children and, you know, we don't mean to, but we, we love them and we want to be there for them, but we come at it from like our values as opposed to understanding that our child may have very, very different values and values we don't understand. Like, you know, I love that she buys him the gorgeous car and he turns it into a horse. I mean, it's just so great, right? It's like, yes, every step of the way, he's like, not going to be my path. 
right? And yes. she just keeps trying to fix him, you know? Yeah. And then the therapist is like, hmm, yeah, something terribly wrong here, right? <laughs> and, you know, everybody's trying to fix him instead of just listen to him. And, yeah. you know, what he's doing is so beautiful. He's He's doing something deeply valuable and he's looking for real meaning. And on some level, it's like, Ooh, I'm getting a rainbow wheel of death. I just want to make sure. It seems like Uh-oh. it's going. Um, you know, what he's doing is so beautiful and it's so valuable. And there is nothing that needs to be fixed other for than for him to be heard and for him to be represented and for him to be empowered, right? And yes. it's so it's so beautiful for you know, that's what that's what his relationship with Maud gives him is somebody who's older, who says, I see you, I am like you, there's space for us. Right. And, and it's just so gorgeous to watch him flourish under her care and her love. And it's like, even though that's the wrong love, it's totally the right love. And, and that's the idea, right? Like what's wrong, what's right. Do you know? And, um, yeah. And just all the dates that he goes on, like how each one is (laughs) like, a different version of what his mother sort of would approve of until like, you know, they get to the actress and she's like barely approving of her, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> I love it. Cause when I finished that scene, the note I wrote was, could she be the one? And then right after that, I said, no, she's too weird for mom. <laughs> like, yep. Yeah. No, mom wouldn't have even done it. She's like, I will stoop this low. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hundred percent that whole scene I was like is she gonna get scared she's an actress I don't know like maybe she's seeing this being like oh he's an actor too and that's exactly what she does yes so funny and but again it's just another version of the narcissism right it's just it's like oh you do what I do right it's Mm -hmm. nobody sees his soul nobody sees the questions that he's carrying except for Maude right? And she, she gets it. She just gets him. And there's something so powerful. I just think all of us just want to be got, all of us just want to find our own way to matter. And, you know, like, is there someone else who would enjoy like going to funerals? Like what's wrong with me? Well, maybe nothing's wrong with you, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's so, it's so, um, speaks to my heart. 100%. Well, and it's so true. There's that scene in the therapist's office where he's like, well, do you do anything else for fun? And Harold goes, yeah, I like to go to funerals. And you're like, oh, okay. And then literally in the next scene, he's at a funeral and then Maude's there like waiting, like almost in like a fight club kind of way of like, he goes there to like feel better about himself and like I don't know, feel something in life. And here's this mysterious woman who's like, yeah, I do that too. Like you want to jump in a car and get yeah. out of here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, what a great way to go. He's really asking throughout the whole movie. Like, what is the point of all of this? Why am I here? And he keeps going yeah. to these funerals to go like, what does it matter? Like, what does life mean? Like, what is love? What is mattering? What is a life? What is a life well spent? Right. Yeah. And, and nobody, nobody answers it for him. It's just, everybody's going through the moves. Everybody's going through the rituals. Everybody's going through, you know, the funerals and the this, and it's like, 
you know, we all walk along the same road with our, you know, black umbrella. And, you know, it's just, it's so amazing that there's like this one bright spot, you know? Yeah. Well, then let me ask you, this is a very hard question, I'm sure. Do you have a favorite part of this film or a favorite scene or a moment or line? Mm. <laughs> um, okay, well, definitely the opening is mm. for sure. That, that silent, just roller coaster opening is insane. Um, but I also, you know, and I talked about the moment also where she throws the gift away, there's something so deeply profound, like what wisdom it takes to know that you throw the deepest, most important thing away. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think, I think what I want to say is I think the moment that breaks my heart is when he's in the hospital and he's fighting for her Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he finally has something he cares about you know and to watch him fight and advocate while she's like it's okay man right and he's like it's not okay and to see him, because it, it makes him interface with society like he's never really interfaced with anybody else at any point in the movie, other than that therapist, right, or the individual dates. But, like, he's not there. It's not his choice. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's been thrown into these situations and he just, like, shows up and plays by the numbers. But here, it's the first time he's, like, in leadership, you know? And he's like, I'm going to make a difference. Like, there's something I care about, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's something in that section that is just so heartbreaking and so beautiful watching, you know, and then and there all the music over it and you're watching and you see her and you see him and it's, they're like now diverging, like they've come together and now they're like diverging and like his story is different from hers and you can just feel the fabric rip, but you also know it's this unbelievable love story. And then, you know, you see the doctor come in and tell him and his body falls and you're like, how, where is this going to go? And, and he's just touched life. He's just made love for the first time. He's just tasted the fruit and now it's gone. And there's something like, like, what's he going to do? And then, and then the answer to that is so beautiful, right? He, he, you don't know where he's going, right? And, and it leads you to believe that he's, of course, in like, sorry for all the 8 million spoilers, but... Um, <laughs> if you didn't come prepared for class, that's what I say <laughs> on here. <laughs> I know, I saw all your spoiler alerts. Hilarious. <laughs> uh, but, you know, um, it's so interesting because like, there's that moment where they lead you to believe like, oh gosh, like he really did kill himself now, mm-hmm. right? Like that's it. But of course it's not. It's the first moment he chooses to live. And, mm. you know, you see him on those verdant hills and he's dancing and strumming. And it's that beautiful reveal of just, he's just standing there and he lets the car go. And it's like, he's just surrendering and he's going to find his way. And we don't know what it is, but you feel after that he can love now. He can live. He's touched it. He's held it. He's let it go. 
it's like he grew up 80 years, like, like she gave him all that wisdom and now he can start his life, you know? Yeah. And, and there's something so special about that. And, you know, you know, his, his mom's never going to get it and she'll never, <laughs> you know, yeah, she'll, ne- she'll never understand. And that's, no. that's okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was so, so beautiful and so special. hundred percent. Well, and so when they're in her house and she says, oh, well, I, I took the tablets half an mm. hour ago. I'm only going to be here till midnight. I wrote in my notes, I went, damn it, Maud. <laughs> like, right. I, I had noticed that she said like, oh, well, after 80, that's it. And I'm like, please don't, please don't do that to me. <laughs> and then she does. And then she says this beautiful line where he, he says, I love you. And she goes, that's nice. Now give it to somebody else. And I'm like, oh, don't upset yourself so. I love you. I love you. Oh, hell. That's one. Go and love some more. Oh, just sobbing in my room. Yeah. Ah, oh, but what a great message, too, of like, this was my plan all along. And I'm so glad that I touched you in a way that you can now go on and love other things besides me. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh. Yeah. So and I think beautiful. That is gift of love is, you know, this is the gift that that happens for us when we do truly deeply love. You know, I remember in my twenties, uh, I had this like you know, I had so many heartbreaks. Um, I, I, I was going to say I wasn't good at dating, but maybe I was like too good at dating. I, I don't know which one. Okay. Let's just say there was a lot of dating that happened. Um, uh-huh. um, you know, there was a particular heartbreak that really did me in. And I remember I was like really depressed after. And I remember at some point I was like at some party and somehow started talking to somebody who was weirdly a priest, <laughs> but it's like a priest in New York city who's at a party. Okay. Right? okay. okay. <laughs> it's very Harold and Mon. And, yeah. and, uh, and somehow I was talking to him and he said to me, um, somehow we got into the story of this heartbreak and how, you know, I was really kind of depressed and cause you know, he's a priest. So he's like talking to me and, and somehow he says to me, Oh, but there's love everywhere. And I said, what do you mean? Mm. And he said, well, you know, it's all around. Like, don't even think of it as a religious thing. Like when you go buy bread, there's love in the bread, in the loaves, and there's love in the person who's selling it to you. And when you give them that money, that's love. And, you know, you don't have to think that the love is gone. Like that was just one very small package you know? And, yeah. and there was something so profound about what he said. And at first I was like, you're a priest. You don't know. You know what I mean? But, but then I was like, oh, maybe he does know. And I remember looking around and I started going like, I'm just going to put those glasses on for my life. Like, I'm just going to walk around and think, what if that's true? Mm -hmm. And I started forcing myself to like walk down New York city and see, you know, the the trees with the little iron grates protecting them and the little flowers coming up around them. And I was like, Oh, love. And I just started seeing like love everywhere. 
And I felt immensely healed. And, um, you know, I never got to tell this person that story. So if, 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 Hey, you happen to be listening to this podcast, (laughs) thank you. Like 30 years later, but, but, you know, (laughs) I just, I don't know. There was something really profoundly beautiful about that. And I feel like that's what happens. You know, when we, when we touch love and we allow it in it, 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 it alchemically changes us. And there's something about that surrender and the pain and not trying to hold on to things. And I think, you know, coming back to like what I do, right, with parents and children, real deep love is in being able to co-create with your children and not have a solution in the way that that mother has a solution for her son of what success looks like, right? But to really deeply surrender yourself into the chaos of another human being and to know that within that chaos, there is structure. Within that chaos, there is beauty. I always say to parents, no matter what behavior your child is doing, they're right. It doesn't mean it's the best behavior, but mm-hmm. there's a rightness in the behavior. And even if the behavior itself is really shitty, which sometimes it is, there is a deep soul rightness in why that's the behavior that's being chosen. And until we actually can open our hearts to see how right it is, the child doesn't allow us in to be able to change it and to be able to lead them towards better choices. Because anytime we come at somebody with an, like a piece of judgment, you know, and, and, and people don't like to think this. They think like, I'm a parent, so my kids have to listen to me. But I always tell parents, like, it may be uncomfortable for you to realize this, but parenting is a consensual act. Mm. And if you don't earn your child's trust, if you don't know how to handle their soul with like, as E.E. Cummings says, like only the rain has such delicate, you know, fingers or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? I love that poem, but totally bastardizing the uh, actual line, (laughs) but, but, but that concept, right? And, and so if you don't, if you don't know how to do that, then children don't allow you to lead them because they don't feel safe. They don't feel seen. They don't feel that their way matters. And so the first step to any real love is just full and complete acceptance. And then teach me why that's right. And then can I show you what I know? And together, can the two of us build a new right? And I think, you know, this movie has so many, um, it's such a deep movie. Like, yes, on the outside, it looks charming or funny or weird or wacky or quirky, but it's actually got these unbelievably deep spiritual lessons woven throughout. And it's funny, you know, it's Cat Stevens, right? Like, oh yeah, (laughs) it makes sense that he was drawn to this story, you know, and I don't know how he feels about the movie, uh, you know, today, I don't know, but, but it makes sense. I mean, he's such a spiritual being. And, and I think that, um, you know, it, it's just, there's something very wise in this film on so many levels about what is love and what is holding on and what is loss and what is grief and how do we even like, what, what is this concept of finding ourselves and losing ourselves and surrender? I mean, it's just, there's so much in there. And I think, and, and what I love about it is that none of it's heavy. It's all hilarious and funny and dark and weird and, you know, uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, every time there's a moment of, Because really, when you think about it, the first really kind of heavy moment of the movie is when Maude says something, oh, that was another life, or that was before. And she starts to cry. And it feels so heavy because of the way the tone of the movie has been. And it's like a couple beats, 
And then Harold says something like, oh, he says, so you don't use that umbrella anymore. And we're back in this, like we've, we've touched on the heavy topic and we're moving on. And it's kind of that same feeling of like throwing the coin in the pond kind of feel of like not holding on to that and letting it go, which is just so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And again, to me, I mean, these are the themes that I personally find so thrilling as a human being, you know, this whole concept of like chop wood, carry water, like the spirituality doesn't happen in the spiritual places. It happens in the practical. And, Mm. and this is, you know, this is what parenting is, right? Like you're wiping butts and you're, you know, picking (laughs) crumbs off the floor and you're, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to just get somewhere anywhere on time, but, but actually you're doing deep, deep spiritual work. And so I love that this movie does that. It has this very light touch of just like very practical, very silly, very funny, but it's actually, it's, it's moving mountains underneath. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and to me, that's what life is. Like most of our life doesn't feel that grand, you know? And yet we humans attach so much meaning to it, but it's like these tiny little things, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think one of the really beautiful things about Maud, other than her entire character, <laughs> is just she, like, throws these little nuggets of wisdom at you, even in the light, airy parts. Like, the scene with the daisy, the scene planting the tree. It's like she has these one-liners where you're, like, I was caught off guard several times when she said things like that. It's like, it hits, but in a way that's like, this is comfortable but meaningful, which I just... Yeah. The screenwriting is just so delicate, but impactful, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and so I have my notes. And one of the things that kind of hit me as really funny right off the bat was right after he buys the hearse. And he goes through the car wash and it's just like blinking like really pretty lights and he's like drinking or something like that, which I think is so one relatable and two, like you immediately know, like his state of mind, like it, like we get an idea because he's like hanging himself in the living room for year. But I thought it was so funny because I've seen like TikToks nowadays of like, oh, I'm having a really bad day, goes to the car wash and like jamming (laughs) because the lights are going. And I'm like, wow, (laughs) still timeless. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. I happen to have my own personal relationship to the car wash, which is (laughs) I think car washes are the greatest thing on earth. They feel like a massage It's almost like a sexual titillation. And I mean that in a really weird way. It is. Uh I mean that as weirdly as I mean that. Um, (laughs) No, but like in that like goosebumpy way of like, almost like, you know, that feeling, you know, the feeling it gives me, here's the exact feeling. It's not really sexual. It's like that. um, Do you know those weird, like uh, massage tingler head things that are like five wires on a thing. And so he like puts that on your head and then they like scratch and you get that weird, like, it's not sexual exactly, but it's like sensual, like that, that like, yeah. like, like tingly, like feeling. Yes. I get that in a car wash. Isn't that weird? 
It is weird, but also 100% um, understandable. I don't know why. I just love it. And it's so funny. My husband and I have a joke because he always goes to wash the cars just because I'm lazy. But every once in a while, I'm like, I'll wash the car. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I need that serotonin, honey. I'll go wash the car. So funny. Oh, I love that. I love that. (laughs) I also, one of the notes I wrote was um, after she gives him the Porsche, he looks at it and like gets a blowtorch. And as soon as they revealed that he put like a hearse cap on the back, I was like, it's not a phase, mom. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's not a phase. Exactly. And like, And I think it's so interesting, like, the part of Cars in this movie, because he has a hearse for a while, and then he turns his Jag into a hearse, and then she steals cars (laughs) throughout the whole film and drives like a maniac. Like, I know people like that, and I'm like, "Mm, I'll drive my own car. It's fine. Yeah. But I wonder if that's part of the appeal for him. He's like, maybe she'll kill me, like, like, in a dark way. It's so interesting. I didn't think of it that way. It's interesting. Yeah, cars are almost like um, clothing. They're, they're almost an identity in the car, right? So it's like he's got his identity of the hearse. And then the mom is like, no, I'm going to pull you back into this identity of the Jag. And then, you know, she doesn't have an identity, right? She's like, I was this, but I am that, but I am nothing, but I am neither, but I am everything, you know? Yeah. And so it kind of makes sense that she's always just stealing whatever car is there. She's like, yeah. I am, I am identity less. I am above <laughs> all things, you know? And even, even right. the tattoo on her arm, it's like, you can't identity me. You can't, you can't box me. You can't put me anywhere. You can't, you know, you can't put me in a camp. You can't kill me. I am of something so much bigger. And, yeah. you know, it's so interesting uh, if you kind of think of it like that, like that. Yeah. And, and, and it's funny too, because in the beginning, right, she's got her like, you know, VW bug, which is like, you know, the clear, like, you know, hippie daisy, <laughs> right. You know, yeah. but then it's like, it's everything. It's anything else, you know, it's, it's yeah. the cops. It's the, you know, it's, it's anything, right. She'll just take yeah. anything. And it's, <laughs> it's so great. It's so great. Right. This concept of like, who are you? Who are you mm-hmm. and how are you going to identify yourself in the world, you know? And you yeah. feel like at the end, it's it's nice too, because if you look at it like that, then when he does crash the car at the very end, you know, and then he's just walking and it's just him on the field, he's adopted her like, like, take this. I don't need an identity. I'm bigger. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 100%. I do love that he keeps the banjo though, because like- yeah, he could have let that go too, but it's also such a sweet moment where she's like, "Well, everyone should play something. Everyone should have some musical outlet that they have." And then in the next scene, he's trying to learn how to play the banjo, and my I heart know. is just so warm. She gave uh, him a hobby that isn't like staging suicide attempts. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, let's talk about that for a second because I I do think there's a reality to that, right? Like, mm. like art is what funnels the pain, you know? And, and many of us use art to funnel pain and to funnel Mm -hmm. our questions. And we're either gonna, it's like, there's an energy 
that is destructive and creative. And we're either going to keep it inside and it will burn us or we use it to fuel something and to invent or to help people or to move or to, you know, and and I think that's part of the progression of us as humans too. You know, when we're younger, we're just fueled by all this sort of power. You know, it's like we're on the top of the, we're the rocket and the fire's under us. And it's like, we just don't even know there's fire. Do you know? We're just Mm -hmm. like moving, you know? Yeah. And then, and then you get in your twenties and you're like, I need more fire. You know, and you start paying attention to fire. You want fire. Do you know? Yeah. And your 30s, you're like, my fire's starting to go out. I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) And then then you're in your 40s and 50s and there's like this shift in your consciousness where, you know, you start to really, I think, um, and again, not everybody lives their life according to this, right? Everybody's trajectories are different. But I think there is a basic human trajectory of, you know, somewhere in your middle life, you start to go... I can light other people's fires. I can do something of value and I can matter and I can help other people go places. And that's when your fire matters more and you don't feel so protective about it. And it's not so scarce. And in that same way, she can just like, Oh, I love that. Thank you. And then throw it away. It's like, there's more, there's more and there's never enough. And it's all true. Right. And, and yeah. so there's something so beautiful about that too, right? That sense of, um, he doesn't need to kill himself anymore. He can take that same energy and turn it into curiosity and turn it into being able to fall in love. And he's lost the thing that mattered most to him and he's still here. And I think, you know, there's something deeply profound about that. Like I'm still here and I'm going to make something beautiful. God damn it. And that it's just so powerful. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and it's not a sad film, song. No. It's a happy song. That's true. Yeah. It's the well, and it's the same song that he was singing with her of like, yeah. if you want to be you, be you. If you want to be me, be me. Like it doesn't yeah. matter. Like just do what feels right. It's yeah. just so amazing to see the impact that Maude has on him over time. Because at first it's like, oh, who's this weird woman? And then it grows literally, because I think it's really only like a week or so that they're together. And it grows so substantially and so importantly to Harold that like by the time they're both in kimonos in her home talking about <laughs> why he stages all of these suicides in his home. When she hears him, he just breaks down crying because it's the first time that someone's like, oh, okay. Tell, like, you can tell me about that. That's fine. I'm hearing you. And like, that's enough for him. Yeah. Oh, it's just breathtaking. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I told you owed me a thank you. (laughs) Yes, I do. Thank you very much. I felt very touched (laughs) by this movie by the end. Ooh, because and because granted, I'm I'm I try to be the kind of person who looks for the little things in life to kind of, especially during the pandemic, of like finding things that bring me joy that aren't necessarily big things. And by the end of this movie, I was like, ooh, girl, I got to go to a field and, like, connect with nature or, like, do something, like, that's impactful to me but maybe not anyone else. 
Yeah. And like on top of it, the soundtrack is amazing. I'm like, oh. I need to go back to 1971 and just live in that headspace. Yeah. Yeah. The whole time <laughs> I was pregnant with my second son, um, I was listening to literally that's his song. If you want to sing out, that's literally the song for my second son. Um, yeah, I just, that was the song that kept coming to me about him, you know? Mm. Uh, and he actually loves that era of music too. It's fun. Um, It's a great era of music. Oh, please. (laughs) I mean, I used to live in Laurel Canyon, right. You know? And so, so identifies with that whole era and, um, it's beautiful. It's just beautiful, (laughs) you know? And I love his story too. I mean, like, gosh, like who knew that would go there? Right. I mean, he's so interesting and, um, yeah, it's just so interesting. I I think Mm -hmm. that, yeah, movie was, there's something really special. A hundred percent. And I don't know, like, it is interesting to think because one of the one of the things I was thinking the whole time was one of my first notes is I want that house because it's <laughs> gorgeous. It's gorgeous. The house is incredible. <laughs> so beautiful. And I kept thinking, like, where is this film? Where is this film taking place? Because his mother kind of has like a one of those standard American dialect voices. Yeah. And so I'm like, is she British? Is this a British film? I don't know. And then everyone else is American and they're in San Francisco. And I'm like, I need to go to San Francisco right now just to walk through these woods, <laughs> just to go see these daisies. Like, it's, it's actually shot, I believe, right near where we live now. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Are you there? Beautiful. Yeah. It's, a be- it's beautiful. I love this area. It's yeah. a very magical area. Yeah. And so you're in California, you're mm-hmm. closer to San Francisco or? Yeah. I used to live in LA and now okay. we're up here. Yeah. Yeah. Do you get seasons? Like, yeah. A little bit. Season? Not okay. entirely. I mean, no snow, but yeah. What? Okay. Cause I'm always curious about like, I know some of California gets most, if not all seasons and other parts of California get one season and that's it. Yeah, I'm never quite sure where that boundary is. You know what I mean? Well, I think nobody knows anything with climate change right now. Seriously, I mean that's fair. Unfortunately, now there's a fifth season, which is fire season. And right. It's uh, you know, it's terrifying. It's actually terrifying, and I think um, you know, it's not just California. I think we're seeing it first in these areas, but I think we're going to see it everywhere. And you know, you see the hurricanes, and you see it's just much more volatile. And I think it's going to take time until people can really acknowledge that this is happening. And, you know, some people are really aware and some people feel like, no, this is normal volatility. And, you know, unfortunately we'll all be dead before we know for sure. Um, (laughs) But I think, I think the reality is, you know, I personally feel we already do know for sure that this is really happening and that we've done this and that we need to change our ways. And, uh, so I think everywhere that anybody lives at this point, we don't know the climate. I think we've, I think we've unleashed as my, as my older teenage son sometimes says to me, uh, when I'll ask him, you know, like, Hey, want to help me do laundry? And he'll go, 
ye know not the dark forces you fuck with. <laughs> I think, I think, you know, uh, I think that it's true that we, we don't entirely, unfortunately know what we have unleashed. And, you know, I hope, my hope, my deep hope is that we can, um, my deep hope is that we can bring this back and, and make some healthy changes for our planet. Yeah. And it's so interesting now that we're in pandemic mode still after almost a practically a full year now, I think, maybe a little longer for other other people. But like, so this past, I'm in South Jersey, a little outside of Philadelphia, and we had so much snow already. And like the last, I don't know, maybe six, seven years has been pretty light on snow in terms of like what I remember as a kid. And so it makes me, it definitely, not that I ever had any doubts in my mind about what is going on with that aspect of the world, but it does kind of open my eyes a little bit of like, oh, not driving on the road for a year made a bit of a difference in our, in the way our planet is doing weather right now. You know what I mean? And so it is interesting and it makes me, when I watch films like this, which 1971, you have these beautiful, luscious shots of, you know, forests, fields, daisies, plants, like everywhere. And it makes me wonder, like, if this kind of film was shot today, would it look different in more than just camera? You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. the 70s camera has like a text texture feel to it when you watch it. Right. And it makes me wonder, like, if you had the same budget as you did and you just had a new updated camera, would it look the same, like, without touching it or altering it of any kind? Yeah, well, I mean, I think um, I think the reality is there are, there are people who have been, you know, taking this footage uh, year after year. And I actually did um, Al Gore's. Uh, climate leadership reality core and um it was it was a really beautiful program that anybody can join and so i highly recommend uh everybody check it out and um they're really trying to train people on what's going on and what you can do about it and um you know they they have footage that you can see the change over year by year and i i wish that this year was enough to move things back. And I think, you know, it it did, there were definite environmental benefits in certain ways. Right. And then of course there's all the disposable masks and, and, you know, there's such a deep, deep problem of how we interface with our planet that it's not, um, a simple fix. And, and I don't know how to fix it in my own life as a parent. It's one of the things I'm struggling with is, you know, okay, I know there's a problem and now what do I do about it? Right. Which is, it's hard. You know, we need, um, we need solutions. We need frameworks. Like I have, this is part of what I do for parents, right? Like they come to me and they know there's a problem and then I have to give them a framework of here are the solutions. And I think, you know, I need that in uh, a climate change way. And that's what I'm trying to educate myself on as a human being now. And as a parent of children on this planet, um, and a child of this planet myself. And, you know, I think we, we all have to learn because until, uh, society has viable alternatives for us until we ask for those alternatives, until we learn um, and have things that are 
easy to choose, easy to choose viable alternatives, we're going to keep making mistakes. And I know I wake up daily and make mistakes for this planet. And it's a, it's a hard load to carry. And, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm just trying to educate myself really. Yeah. And I mean, that's all we kind of can do. It feels like to, to kind of, cause so I like to say we're always growing, we're always changing. And so I think that's just part of the process of like, just making sure that you're still open to learning. You know what I mean? Cause like, I think there's a lot of people who, and, and maybe this is just in my mind or maybe like the older generations now who have kind of said like, oh, I know how the world works. I don't need to, I don't need to learn anymore. And I just don't feel like that's, that's a healthy way to be because there's still things that the smartest people in the world are still learning about. So I don't know, I guess, I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think we are always learning, right? I hope we're always yeah. learning. Gosh, it'd be really <laughs> sad to stop. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I've learned so much from this film. Great transition. <laughs> <laughs> but I really for, did. Yeah. Thank you for spending time with me and talking about it. And thanks for being willing to watch it. Oh, my gosh. I should, Again, thanking you for <laughs> picking this movie, which I've just been trains passing in the night. Um waiting for me to watch it and I just hadn't and I'm so glad that I did there's so it's definitely going to be one that I come back to for sure um are there any like final remarks that you have about this movie uh golly <laughs> um no just that I can't wait till my kids are old enough to be able to really deeply appreciate it one of them mm. started to watch it and he was kind of flipped out by the beginning he was like I'm checking out and then the Fair. other one, um, uh, he's got a more dark, gory side to him. Um, <laughs> and uh, he was he, he hung in for the whole thing. But I don't think, like, he was able to deeply, deeply appreciate it yet. So mm. I can't wait till they're, like, you know, back from college one day and we can watch it together, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, I, I think, I, I think that's, that's a moment I'm looking forward to. And won't that be fun? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so let me throw this out. Where can people find you? Are there projects that you want to plug? Where should we be looking out for you in the future? Oh, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> my my love is helping parents. So if there are any parents listening in who feel like you've got this itch in your heart that tells you that it could be better, and even if you've tried everything is what it feels like and you just, you don't know, um, that's kind of, that's my wheelhouse is helping you know what life you want to build and helping you retell a new story about it and really getting you to love, love your parenting life without apology and to love your kids without apology too. So, um, yeah, uh, anybody can get help over at motherflippingawesome.com and there's an app uh, the Mother Flipping Awesome app, which will be out in about April 2021. And you get a free week. First week is free. So you can check that out. You can go to motherflippingawesome.com slash app. There's a podcast. There will be a book next year. There's Ooh. a mentorship program. There's like anything and everything you could want. So, um, yeah, absolutely. 
Amazing. Amazing. Well, I'm, as someone who is not a parent, I've been kind of dabbling through getting ready for when I decide to make that decision to be a parent. Um, but yeah, I'm enjoying it. I, you know, great content and wonderful discussion. I mean, here, if that's any indication. Oh, yeah, and it's so great to talk to you. <laughs> absolutely. Awesome. This has been such a joy. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you for picking this movie. <laughs> well, thanks for being willing to talk to someone who's not, you know, so such a film aficionado. I appreciate it. Oh, of course. That's always the fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> Another huge thank you to Abigail Wald for coming on the show and talking about her favorite film, Harold and Maude, which now that I've done the whole episode is so funny that her name kind of rhymes with the title of the film. <laughs> but it was such a wonderful conversation. I cannot speak highly enough of how much fun I had talking about this film and and just watching this film that has been on my radar for, oh, I don't know, at least four years or so, <laughs> at least, maybe more. But of course, if you liked this episode, you can go ahead and check out our other episodes from season one and the beginning of season two if you haven't already. Uh, we are getting to the halfway point of this season already. Where has the time gone? But if you just need more film content, if you need it immediately, you have a couple options as always. Option number one, you can follow us on Instagram. Very simple, very easy. Our username or our tag or whatever the kids are saying these days, our handle, our Instagram handle, I got it, I got it, is at scopophilia underscore podcast. Uh, option two is uh, you can follow our TikTok at scopophilia the podcast. And since you're already on the internet, option number three, rate, review, and subscribe helps us out. We love to hear from you. And just get vocal out there. We love it. We love hearing from you. And you know who else loves hearing from you? Your friends and family and family of friends and friends of family. So don't forget to tell them about us. We love to hear from them too. Do they love movies? Of course they love movies. Everyone loves movies, right? As always, I'm your host, Becky Teller, leading the millennial movie movement here on Scopophilia. And I'll see you all next Friday. Bye.